Hi everyone, Samuel here. Welcome to Stories That Shape Us, to another episode celebrating Black History Month. The theme this month is celebrating or saluting sisters, and I am delighted to share that Madre Boxes is sponsoring this particular episode. Madre Boxes is a business whose aim is to make it easy for loved ones to show love and appreciation to moms, especially new moms. So if you're out there wondering what thoughtful gifts you could give this Black History Month, head over to madreboxes.co.uk that is m-a-d-r-e-b-o-x-e-s.co.uk and order deliver nationwide in the uk well now back to the podcast growing up i've learned to be impactful wherever i go and i feel like if a book was to read to be written about me i hope would show the impact and show that i was actually here i was on earth i made an impact so definitely i was here Hi everyone, thank you so much for coming. Um, we believe that everyone here has a story worth sharing and we're delighted to bring our guests. Today we have with us Tabitha Tabs in Yakiri. Tabitha was born in Kenya, she resides in Glasgow. She advocates for child literacy and she founded this NGO called Kosi Africa, which we'll talk about very shortly. Um, she currently works as the Race Equality Charter Project Officer. That's a mouthful, but I, I got it. <laughs> at the Glasgow Caledonian University. And she's also, um, she's, she advocates for issues around racial e- equality in higher and further education. Tabs, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. And it's a pleasure and honor to, to be here today, Sam. The pleasure yeah. really is, is, is ours. Now Tabs, we need to get something out of the way because uh-huh. we, we had a chat a few, a few days ago, right? Yeah. You mentioned you enjoy watching football, which yeah. is okay, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you mentioned you're a, you're a big fan of Arsenal. Absolutely. Best team in England. Best tell, team in the world. Tell me the story. Why <laughs> Arsenal and when? Since when? Oh, since 2003. And it seems like such a long time ago, but that just shows how much of a big fan I am. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I lived in Uganda in, uh, when I was younger. And in 2003, we moved back to Kenya. And it was the first time uh, my mom bought a flat screen TV when we moved back and it was really nice and fancy you know back then flat screen tvs weren't a thing they just come into the market so they were a really big craze i remember one of the first games we watched was an arsenal manchester united game and my dad is a very very big manchester united game and me just being me i decided if he's supporting manchester united i'm gonna support arsenal didn't know what arsenal was at the time (laughs) but in that game we won three nil and oh my God, I was like, this is an amazing team. If they're beating my dad's team, <laughs> I better be supporting the winning team. And we've been winning them ever since this weekend, 3-1. So can't complain. I know. But it was funny because I, I was reading about um, the Arsenal-Manchester United feud. Yeah. I think Manchester United is the um, opponent that has played Arsenal the most yeah. as well. Which yeah. is, there's just this. Anyways. That's that's so interesting to hear. You are from Kenya, but you've also spent some time living in where? Mauritius, Mauritius and Uganda. And so Uganda. I've, so I've travelled a bit. Wow. A bit. That's, that's a lot of travelling. Yeah. But take us to Kenya, because one of the things that we've been trying to, to do on this show mm-hmm. is to speak to guests from every country. That's, yeah. that's actually a goal we have. We want yeah. to speak to guests from every country in the world. And you are our first Kenyan guest. Oh, fantastic. I like that. Yes. So for people listening, if they were travelling to Kenya, where would you recommend? Uh, I'll just go, Nairobi definitely is a must go, uh-huh. because why not? It's the best city in Eastern Central Africa. I'd probably say that. Uh-huh. We have a natural national park, so you can be chilling with the lions, <laughs> having your lunch, <laughs> and then go to a mall and have your dinner. So you can't really get 
that in any other city. Mm-hmm. But then obviously we have so many national parks as well outside Nairobi. And we have Mombasa and our coastal region. So you can also go to the beaches. So there's always so much to do. And, and Kenya, and if you fancy running, you can go to Eldred or Iten and run with some of our runners. Maybe you might be <laughs> inspired to build a world record. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's always a good time. And the weather is good as well. Okay, okay. And, and what foods would you recommend people, you know, looking to try out some Kenyan cuisine? Try. Oh, definitely nyamachoma, top of the list. You could get it anywhere. So that's just uh, roasted meat. And it's the best thing you'd find anywhere you go into Kenya. I'd say ugali, which is a maize meal that's made, pounded into um, a dough. And then it's, uh, so you can have that. That's staple. Everyone has ugali. Okay. And my personal favorite is chapati, which is very similar to like a naan bread. Gotcha. 10 out of 10. Right, so is that the same? Like, I think there's an Indian chapati as well. Are there yeah, any differences? Absolutely. Or? And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think very controversial. I'll also say pilau. It's better than jollof. Trust me. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't start. Don't go into hey, that. I, ha- I had Banner Boy's comment a few weeks ago. And I was like, why are you bringing Kenya into jollof loads? We, 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 we make pilau. Leave us alone. <laughs> well, tell you what. I, I'm not sure I've tried pilau, but a friend of mine, Justin Tais, is Kenyan as well. Uh-huh. I think she, she's talking about pilau as well. Yeah. So maybe some someday. Day, yeah. I'll try that. Yeah, there's actually a joke in Kenya where we say, don't let anyone treat you like jollof while <gasps> you're pilau. Really? So there we go. Really? <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam. That's the end of this conversation. Bye bye. <laughs> it was nice speaking to you, Sam. <laughs> Yeah, but um, honestly, thank you so much for coming once again. Yeah, it, yeah. It's so much for the energy in the room. It's 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 phenomenal. So we'll start with rapid fire questions. Yep, yeah, sure. And I have five questions for mm-hmm. you. And you have five seconds to answer each question. Okay, let's okay. go. Question one, what is your favorite book? Oh, the Bible. Why? It's just, there's so many stories. It's inspirational. When I'm looking for answers, it's always in there. So the Bible, definitely. The Bible, okay. Yeah. Question two, if you could have dinner with three people, inspiring people, living or dead, uh-huh. who would you choose? Oh, it would be my mom, definitely. Ooh. It would be Pamela Gillis, who was our former principal at GCU, because she's just brilliant. And uh, the third person would probably be younger me. Younger you? Younger me. Why? Yeah, just because I think she had so much passion and vision that I've lost a bit some of the way, not in a bad way, but mm-hmm. like she was very fiery and ready to go. And I'd like to see what I lost in the way of growth <laughs> and what I gained as well in the way of growth. Yeah. So those would be the three people. <laughs> okay, okay. Favorite holiday destination, question oh, three. Mauritius, 110%. Why? Beautiful beaches. It's just stunning. It's a bit expensive, not going to lie, but it's just a nice holiday. It's calm. It's very quiet as well. So okay. good place to go and unwind after a busy, busy life. Okay, okay. Um, how's this going? Is this too easy for you? Should I up my game a bit or...? Let me not play myself. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so, so, good. Far, so good. Okay, question four. Your favorite food, Tabs? Oh, chapati and chicken. Chapati Anything and chicken. that, I'm sold. I'm there. And, and that rhymes, actually, <laughs> chapati and chicken. Yeah. Okay, question five. If your life was a book, what would its title be? Oh, I was here. That would be the title of my book. And just because I, I growing up, I've learned to be impactful wherever I go. And I feel like if a book was to, read, to be written about me, I hope, would show the impact and show that I was actually here. I was on earth. I made mm. an impact. So definitely I was here. I was here. Yeah. We'll talk about impact in a, in a moment. Yeah. But um, let's go back to your upbringing and childhood. Mm-hmm. So now you are 
the youngest board member of the Scottish Fair Trade Forum. Yes. Congratulations I, on that. How are you finding yeah. that, by the way? Oh, it's really interesting because I actually worked there as an intern a few years ago. So it's uh-huh. really interesting to see the shift <laughs> from being an intern to actually being in the board. But no, I love it. It's 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 such a good experience. It's a very big learning curve as well because mm. I'm learning so much about being in a board, about fair trade as well, about working with a, uh, with a charity, mm. working with organizations and the government as well. So it's, it's a very nice experience as well as meeting so many amazing amazing people mm. along the way and it, it's brought so many opportunities for me as well right. just professionally as well oh cool and, yeah. and what does the scottish fair trade um forum itself do what's the aim of of, of that group yeah so basically the fair, scottish fair trade forum is a is a nano uh, is an ngo so it's mm. a charity and they basically help come up with uh policies to help the government, the Scottish government, um, trade better with, mm. with people who trade into Scotland. So making sure that there's fair practice in trade. So farming, for example, they make sure that the farmers are being paid well mm. and you're using fair trade products. So they basically help legislate that and come up with policies and help also promote and campaign for fair trade. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And you also found that this um, NGO called Kosi Africa. Yep. Why? So Kosi Africa started in a cafeteria um, in Mauritius in 2016, 2016 is mm-hmm. when it started. So I was living in Mauritius at the time at the African Leadership College where I was um, studying at the, at the time. And um, I met somebody called Wycliffe Baraza. And our, in, in hindsight, our worlds should have never collided. It's one of those people you're like, how did we meet? We should mm. have never met. But we met in a cafeteria in where we were staying because we were both in African Leadership College. And we were just talking over dinner about some of our experiences and our passion for education and literacy in Africa and just being able to come together and ensure that no child is left behind. Mm. And uh, so we talked about this passion for years and years and years. And he particularly was already on the ground doing things. So Wycliffe has a very inspirational story. So he used to be a street kid, worked all the way up to where he is now. So it's very, very inspirational how he's got into where he is. So he was already doing a lot on the ground. And it was more of me just joining and just adding on my own expertise and skills. And mm. a lot of the things I'd also learned along the way. So in 2019, we consciously started working together. So we started a campaign called $1 Back to School, which was basically, at the time, $1 was equivalent to 100 Kenyan shillings in the exchange rate. And without 100 Kenyan shillings, you could keep a child in school by paying for their examination fees because education is free in Kenya for primary school, but you have to pay for your examination fees in some of the schools. So a lot of kids were dropping out because mm. they couldn't afford the 100 shillings because that's how much their parents earn in a week, sometimes in a really? month. So it's very, very... Little money for most people, but for them, 100 shillings was what was keeping them alive. So we ran that campaign for a couple of years and then post that campaign because we saw the need was growing and most of this money was coming out of pocket as well. We, we saw the need to actually come up with a way to make it sustainable and be able to make an impact because there's only so much money me and Wycliffe can really right. give so as well. This was funded by both of you, yep. just both, yep. both of you at this point. Yeah, okay. at this point. And gotcha. our friends as well, just, mm. you know, asking your mom, your dad, your friends, or do you have money here, there? So that's basically how it was funded. So we ran a book drive. And then um, in 2020, 2021, because lockdown years sort of felt like one year, <laughs> the two years, uh, we were working with Impreza Academy, which is a school in Kenya, and their library had unfortunately burned down. And uh, the school mostly hosts children from underprivileged families. So when the library burned down, they couldn't afford to buy books 
or rebuild the library. So they were studying off phones and like printed books that the teachers would have to get. So it wasn't really quality learning. Mm. So I applied for a grant to Glasgow Caledonian University and I managed to get the grant and we managed to run the project, got them a library, got them books, got teachers trained. And then from there, Kosi Africa grew and just wow. started from there. So we thought we'd, we are impacting in such a small scale right now. How could we make it bigger? So we registered Kosi Africa. It's been registered now for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, officially, so it's an NGO in Kenya. If you search for us, you'll find us. And we've we've never looked back. We've been helping kids, about 2,500 kids right now. We're impacting about 30 schools. Mm. We're working with, we're hoping to get to about a million children by 2030. So we're working towards a big goal. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big goal. That's a big mission. Um, But out out of all the areas or spaces you could get involved in, you chose education and literacy. Yeah. Yeah. Why? So for me, it, it stemmed from my mom and it, it, not, it will not come as a shock as I said she'd be the person yeah. I'd want to have dinner with. So she's inspired me a lot to become who I am. So she is an advocate for literacy in Africa and has been for many, many years. So she's been working with governments and 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 countries for a lot, uh, I think since the 80s, if I'm not wrong, mm. to try and come up with reading policies. And she raised us in a way where we understood the power of reading and books and what that can do for you. So every time somebody tells me, oh, you speak really good English for an African, I'm like, I just speak good English because I read, not because I'm an African, because I read. So that thing came to me and said, if we get our children reading, doesn't have to be in English, could be in local languages, then they become competent. Then they become eloquent. They become, they they, they actually are more confident in themselves because you tend to find when children don't know how to read and write, it's not that they are dumb. They just don't have the confidence to express themselves. Mm. So when you give them the ability to read and give them the ability to write, then they get the confidence and the confidence to progress within their careers and become whatever they want. To be. Mm. So that's the vision she had for children in Africa. So that was imparted in me in terms wow. of I wanted to see that continue post her time doing that as well. Right. Okay. But there's so many questions coming to my head right now, <laughs> to be honest. Well, let's talk about one more area yeah, um, that sure. you're involved in, and that is at the University Glasgow Caledonian University. Yeah. You work as hold on, I'm trying to get it, trying to get it, trying to get it, trying to get the it. The mouthful of a title. Race Equality <laughs> Charter Project Officer. Yes. <laughs> what does the title mean? I never get short titles. So this is my <laughs> second job at GCU and it's always a mouthful. So as a race equality charter project officer, I basically am the project officer in charge of the race equality charter, mm. which is a charter that's uh, been funded by the Advance HE, which Advance Higher Education, which is an external company that basically is like a check of universities. So they mm. help universities come up with different charters and then they're meant to follow them in able to sustain a charter mark showing that they're doing good things, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> That's the simplest way to say it. So I've been in this role for just about a year, actually, almost to the day. I started in July last year. And my job is to help the university, first of all, write, um, create the charter, write the charter out and be able to come up with that. But it's also going around, talking to staff and students, getting their experience, being able to come up with an action plan that will impact and change um, the quality of education and working in in Glasgow Caledonian University because the fact is racism exists in all mm. our campuses not just GCU yeah. in all the campuses in the UK whether we admit it or not so it's just about making sure that we are creating a place where everyone feels like they're equal whatever equal means to you but they're equal mm. and they're able to 
um, feel like they belong on campus to study and to work as well. So that's the gist of sort of what I do. Gotcha. <laughs> and, and speaking about racism, yeah. um, that, that's of course a very big, you know, public enemy. It's, it's, it's been around for ages. Yeah. From your experience and work and research and, you know, study, what have been some of the practical ways you've, you've found that like, could just tackle racism? Because I'm thinking of some people that might be listening right now thinking, all right, I lead an organization or I lead, you yeah. know, a school or I work in this place and I'm, I want to help, but I'm not quite sure how mm-hmm. to, you know, go about this. What would your suggestions be around like a practical way of, 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 of I, I think the, the first thing is just educate yourself. I feel like a lot of people don't realize what they're doing is racist because they don't know it is. Mm-hmm. It's just the lack of knowing. So they, they, potentially don't have any bad will. They just do it because, oh, this is normal. Yeah. It's like when you go to the airport, how many times have you been asked, oh, you speak really good English? Yeah. <laughs> the guy thinks he's making chat with you because it's friendly just to be like, oh, I've seen your passport, you're not from here, surprising, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's certain things that they might deem as, oh, it's normal, it's just a normal question to ask. Yeah. But when you educate yourself and you surround yourself with diversity, and I remember I was having this conversation with somebody recently when they were saying, oh, we don't really see good things about Africa. And I was like, why don't you see good things about Africa? Is it because you only watch Western television? Mm. That's that's the only reason why you're not seeing good things about Africa. If you watch our news channels, our movies, our shows, or you talk to an African, yeah. for example, then you learn that there's so much good things happening. So it's just that aspect. Of, so if you if you if you have an organization, number one, learn. Yep. Learn, educate yourself, re-educate yourself, unlearn your biases and acknowledge you have biases. We all do. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I think it's also just understanding the culture of your workplace or your organization and try to figure out where, why, why is there systemic racism here? Mm-hmm. Why is it not? Or even speak to your colleagues and ask them if you, if you have white, co- uh, ethnically diverse colleagues and just ask them, is there an issue here in a very warm and welcoming way? Because mm-hmm. sometimes... We tend, and I speak this as being one of uh, very few ethnic diverse people within my organization, you tend to feel scared to, re- to speak yeah. out because you're like, oh, there's only like two of us here. So if I get sacked, there'll only be one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then just opening a, an environment yeah. where your, your colleagues who are ethnically diverse can also speak to you and just tell you, hey, there's a problem here and mm. listen. And sometimes it's just an easy fix as changing one policy or changing how you run meetings or changing how you hire or where you yeah. advertise for your jobs. Sometimes it's a very easy fix. It doesn't have to be you changing your whole organization. Mm-hmm. And it's also just about changing attitudes as well and just being able to understand that racism exists in our society and it only doesn't only affect ethnically diverse people, it affects everyone. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll pack at this point a bit. Because yeah. I think we should talk about this. Um, yeah. Because like you brought up a very interesting topic, which is racism. And actually, now that I think about it, I think this conversation should be should be published in Black History Month as well. Uh-huh. So, so we can drive some awareness there. Um, you, you mentioned something earlier around sometimes people do not even know that mm. they have been racist. Yeah. And... Um, Something I, I learned from a DI um, event I went to a couple of months ago is so, sometimes also as black people, our response should be a bit more gracious, even in passing across the information that, hey, that, that was quite racist because yeah. sometimes people actually do not know. Yeah. And um, I, I was talking with Sajif Palmer um, mm. ab- about this and I asked for what practical advice you give to you know, activists. And he paused and said, educate yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And then he then goes on to say, some people do harm with weapons, yeah. and some people do harm with words. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, you know, just being emotional. Oh, this is a bad place. This is this person was terrible. Mm-hmm. They probably actually meant well, but but sometimes in in communicating our like, grievances or misunderstandings, there's a harsh undertone to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So education is, is a very great unifier, I suppose, you know, like uh, creating more resources to uh, educate people. And it's interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, and I think it's fantastic because I think ideas like this podcast is yeah. a good way to do it as well because then people get to hear real life stories mm. from people and also understand that, you know, there's so much more within our communities to yeah. give than yeah. the negative undertone that's sold by the media and, and sold by experience or by, you know, things that our grandparents told us or your grandparents told you. Yeah. So it's just about understanding and also just expanding your scope. Yeah. Read and read widely. Like, don't just read a book because you're reading a book. Read to understand or yeah. watch to understand and watch something that contradicts with your trend of thought as well mm. because then you build ideas and you understand the world yeah. and travel as well traveling is a really good way to uh, also great. learn cultures and actually Im- immerse yourself mm-hmm. in the culture don't don't go to to ghana and then look for mcdonald's yeah go look for some street food or go to like a local restaurant yeah. and understand why are they eating this and this why is this much together yeah. you know it teaches you a lot about culture you know and and a lot of things 100 yeah. percent. that's about media this is like i feel like we're doing rugby tour because uh-huh. but don't worry uh-huh. i still have an idea of how this podcast <laughs> should go that's about media and the and the um role media plays in influencing people's yeah. mindsets both yeah. positively and negatively so i mentioned this event i went for it was um called i think the black tech award uh-huh um, in, in London a couple of months ago. And there was a speaker who gave really fantastic, you know, ideas around education, being a bit graceful when it comes to communicating mm-hmm. um, perceived racism because some people genuinely do not mean it. Yeah. And I kid you not, right after this experience, I jumped on a plane back to, to Glasgow and was in a taxi home. And I started conversing with the driver who uh-huh. was um, not black, was a white person. Yeah. Um, and then we started to have this conversation about, you know, life and journey as I tend to like do that a lot of times and then we got to a, a part where he didn't uh, said something along the lines of um if you don't mind me asking you sound very educated <laughs> and and I, I I have heard people talk a bit about you know microaggressions and whatnot and um I, there was just this knot in my tummy yeah I was like so I, I paused, but again, thankfully I had remembered this, you know, this conference that I'd just been to and, you know, I, I, I spoke a bit. Yeah. I, I remembered that this idea of being, of being great, of being gracious uh-huh. in terms of communication. So, you know, I listened to him and then I explained, oh, well, actually, you know, I've got a master's and Nigerians are actually very educated yeah. and then go on to like change, talk a bit about that and the fact that all my siblings are educated. Yeah. So th- there's, there's no surprise in a yeah. sense about that, right? But then I said, let me even go online to check, to like check what does the, what does Google say about yeah. education in Nigeria? Yeah. And then so I think I typed something in like maybe what's education like in Nigeria? Yeah. And then I find that there's been a focus on, I think, one particular part of Nigeria, which is northern part of Nigeria, and talks yeah. about the high levels of illiteracy yeah. there. Yeah. And so someone reading that thinks, oh, generalizes that across board. Yeah. And again, I think it, it, it's sort of like supports your points around this idea of 
we need to educate ourselves, not just sticking to one yeah. one you know channel. Tell me from your experience the immense role media plays in educating us all and creating a more inclusive and diverse community. No, it it, it plays a big role because it, it literally media can make or break us in terms of how a society runs. You know, I I, I use an example. Um, in, for example, there's a time a few years ago, CNN decided to call Kenya a hotbed of terror. It was an interesting time <laughs> in, 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 in the world where they decided to call uh, Kenya a hotbed, hotbed of terror. It was very surprising because, yes, we, we have um, violence in Kenya, not any different from any other Western country. You could even say that most towns in Kenya are safer than most in Europe. Mm. If you're looking in terms of violence and things like that, you could argue that. But they made that perception and then all the airlines took all their flights from Kenya. So you couldn't fly. They were sending mm. all their, um, uh, what, what do you call them, the dignitaries, mm. all the expatriates, or oh, if you want to go back home, next flight back. So it created a, 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 a space where they made Kenya feel unsafe. And they made feel like Kenya is always at war. Mm. And that's sort of what media can do. And they always perceive and share all these stories. Even if you look at in terms of race, it's always negative stories about black people, particularly if you're looking like at America. It's, it's hardly ever hear positive stories. It's always about a black man with drugs or is a deadbeat dad yeah. or, you know, they're in gangs. You never hear about the success stories. And when you find people who are actually a success story, they always find a way to tear them down. You know, like if you look at Obama and Michelle, I'm not saying that they're the optimum or they're the epitome of black excellence, but they did well for themselves. But you can see all the negative media that's thrown at them with every single small thing they do. Mm. So it's media again perpetrating saying, even if you're black and excellent, there has to be an issue somewhere. Mm. And that's yeah. what they'll focus. They'll never focus on Obama being the first president. They'll focus about some letters found a few years ago mm. that he may be gay. And then that's the story they, they, mm. they, they stick with. They'll look at Michelle and she might not be the most feminine woman. And they'll say, oh, she must be trans. Mm. And it's just trying to perpetuate this idea of even if you're black and excellent, or there must be something wrong. There must yeah. be something you're hiding. And yeah. that's media. Because it's the media that comes up with these stories and sells these stories and lies about these stories. And then people get to read them and believe them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and for folks listening, um, I mean, I, I know we've already started to talk about like some deep yeah. deep um, topics. But at, at the bottom of, of everything, I think one, one thing would want every listener to realize, again, is something that uh, I think Sajef said in, in an episode when I was having a chat with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, he said that after, actually. He said that we are one humanity. Mm -hmm. So e every time you're exposed to something that tries to sell one race or group of people as inferior, yeah. you have the right to question that, right? Because every race of every race has a, a minority a group of people that you know you could you could label as the, the dissidents or the um, quote-unquote bad people, but there are lots of other great things about every race. So if, if, if we, again, like um, Tabs, you've said, educate ourselves beyond just what we are used to, yeah. you would find sometimes pleasantly surprising, um, gracious things that you could even learn from these other communities, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much to learn. So much. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, we've entered th th that hole. Let's, yeah, let's rabbit, go rabbit hole. <laughs> let's we go can, back. We can talk about this all day. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, so, again, you've gotten involved in all these spaces, but let's go back to your upbringing and childhood. Yeah, sure. So take me back to Tabs when she was eight. 
or 10 or 12. Eight or uh, 10 how, or how 12. You, you remember. <laughs> and tell me how your you know, upbringing has shaped you. Yeah, no. Oh, when I was 10. So I'm the youngest of four girls. Mm-hmm. So I think it tells a lot of why my personality is the way it is because there was four of us. And there was also a big age gap in many ways between myself and my older sisters mm-hmm. as well. So I always was older than I was, if that makes sense, because I was trying to keep up with my older sisters. My older sister is 14 years older than me. Mm-hmm. The one who follows her is seven years older than me. Then the one I follow is three. So at least that was an average gap. But for the rest of them, I was grow- growing up too fast <laughs> to catch up with them because I wanted to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. So my childhood was was good. It was brilliant. Um, we were surrounded by so many family members. So I've, I've always left, lived in a community, which is which is which was a big culture shock coming here because everyone lives alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my childhood was really good. Um, I lived with my both my parents, who I'm very grateful are still alive. Mm. Uh, we lived with them, um, with my sisters, with my cousins. So the house was always full. The house always had a lot of laughter, a lot of good memories, a lot of sad times as well, a lot of fighting because, mm. you know, we're we siblings. We yeah. have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my childhood was was good. It was. I went to really good schools as well, so I'm really blessed that um, my parents were enabled me to go to good schools, and uh, there was a lot of happy memories. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that because I I realize that that's a privilege in many many yeah. many many ways. What is one of your happiest memories about your childhood? I, f- I feel like if my mom hears this, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, what a, what a, I think one of my happiest memories as a child, well, actually, I could think of two things. So I need to pick one. Let me pick the one that I know will make my mom like call me and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> so um, when we lived in Uganda, my mom used to work as a diplomat. So she used to travel a lot. And as and because she used to travel a lot, we used to be me and my sister, and we used to have a house help as well, which she was lovely. Pamela, wherever you are, you are one of the loveliest people I've met. Aww. And uh, so she basically used to be our caregiver when my mom would travel. And because my mom would travel so much, she had um, a deal with a supermarket next door where we would just go shop and she'd come pay the bill mm. at the end of the month or the week or whenever she comes back. So here's the happiness. As a child, imagine going into a supermarket and being told, you can pick whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) with no consequences. (laughs) And not just today, tomorrow as well. (laughs) And day after tomorrow as well. Because mom will deal with the consequences (laughs) at the end of the month. So that was a really, really fun time of my my childhood, spending my mom's money. There we go. Love it. Love it. Love it. And and what would you say? Because like you mentioned, your mom has been a a very, you know, pivotal influence in your life. Yeah. What would you say were some of the values that you saw in her at that age that, you know, she sort of like modeled for you? And I know you you already mentioned things about she was a big advocate for, you know. Literacy, yeah. Literacy. What other things did you? I think it's just how hardworking she was. And how very determined she was to create an environment for herself that she could thrive. Mm. So I saw her working intentionally to get to where she was. So she she would be studying late in the night and you'd wake up at 3 a.m. and she's studying because she's studying for this exam or studying to do this or working on this project. And it it was just and it wasn't just hard work like donkey work. It was had intentional work where she was mm. working smart but working hard 
and also just still being present as a mom because you know you tend to find that when you're focusing too much on your career then some parts of your life do miss out yeah. but it was nice to see her balance in many ways um just working hard and going for what she wanted but as well as just being able to be caring as a mom mm. as well and i think it also is a great testament to my dad who was there to support so it was nice to see a man being a supportive figure and just being there mm. and being a present dad for us as well so it's just one of those things where as i go back to saying being blessed to see such healthy parenting coming from both sides where my dad realizes oh she's working towards a goal so i'll be the present parent and take care of my children yeah. and my mom also being there and saying oh we're working hard but i'm also present so yeah. it was it was actually quite nice to see and it's, it's it's something i aspire to in the future <laughs> gotcha okay so um just to get it straight you were born in kenya yep at what point did uganda and mauritius come into picture so born in kenya we moved to mauritius i think 2000 we moved to mauritius to to uganda okay <laughs> and then we were there for about two and a half three years so 2003 we moved back to kenya then was in kenya for the rest of my uh childhood and then at about 18 when i started university then i moved to mauritius okay and how how different were the experiences for you moving to um uganda and mauritius from kenya i think or were they roughly the same well it was different because it, to uganda it was well, i was very young so mm. i think it didn't really hit me until it hit me because <laughs> i was probably about 6 5 or 6 when we moved to uganda so i was very young but it was different because we came from living in a house full of people mm. to just it being us oh, yeah <laughs> so it was like coming from a house of like 30 i'm exaggerating to like three <laughs> wow. so it's like there's a big shock of oh actually the house is quiet mm-hmm. oh my god i can actually get the telly because mm-hmm. I, i was a youngest so i never used to get what i <laughs> to watch what i wanted to watch i had to watch what the big ones wanted to watch so it was a new experience oh my god i can actually control the remote mm-hmm. and watch telly tabbies all day class show by the way used to come back <laughs> and, and 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 things like that so that was that was different i think for Mauritius it was it was more so of just me discovering who i was and the move there i think was very welcome because it came at a really good time i just finished high school i just spent a year um away from education because in Kenya our system you take about a year from high school before you start university I'd done first year in a university in Kenya so mm. I've been I'd been in university already before I went to Mauritius but it was one of those things where even though I was in university I really didn't understand who I was because I, I was still very much going home every weekend mm. I had my mom to call every day I still call my mom every day but it was it was it was very different because now it was time difference mm. so you can't just call any time and then I had class I was in a diff- I was making new friends I was doing on my own I had to do my own laundry I had to you know fend for myself yeah. be responsible for my money and uh, my pocket money was now if you spend it you spend it yeah. you're broke there's no more <laughs> there's no more going to the shopping mall there's no more going <laughs> there's there's no more that so I think Mauritius was was my point to grow gotcha. and to realize oh my god i'm actually becoming an adult and i need to get my get my life together <laughs> yeah, there gotcha. we go uh-huh. and get my life together and just be able to now start envisioning what i wanted my life to look at gotcha. look like and be serious and that was quite young maybe many people will say oh at 18 19 you don't know what you want but that experience in mauritius and just to give context so in mauritius i was in the african leadership college okay. which is um 
a university that was started by Fred Swanica, who is a brilliant man uh, in his own rights. So he founded the African Leadership Academy, and it's a brilliant way to create. So his vision is to create leaders in Africa who make change. Mm. <laughs> so that's his vision. So he does that through the academy, which is more of like a form five or six post high school thing. And then now he has the university in Mauritius and Rwanda and a few other things across Africa called LUX, which are like incubator hubs and XYZ. But that's besides the point. So in in, in Mauritius, when we, was, when we went there, it was very competitive because they call themselves the Harvard of Africa. Ooh. Which I thought was oh wow right okay. so they, so it was very competitive to get in uh-huh. and uh, for full disclosure I had actually applied for ALA the academy in South Africa and didn't get in mm-hmm. so for me I felt like oh maybe I wasn't good enough to get to the university but I applied and I got in so see you lose some you gain some yeah. eh so it was very competitive it was a very competitive space and I remember. The first day I walked into campus, met these brilliant people. And, you know, you find people who are like, oh, I'm 19, but I have a, I have an NGO in, like, Zimbabwe working, and I have, like, 30 employees. <laughs> like, that's that's the caliber of people wow. that, were, that were actually, like, in the wow. school. Like, you talk to people, and somebody would be like, yeah, I've been, like, coding since I was, like, 12. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm just like, what <laughs> have I been doing in my life? <laughs> So, because so, we had to do like this intro thing. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I actually realized, wow, I'd thought I'd done so much, mm. but I'd done nothing. Because you'd listen to all these brilliant people and they're all your age or younger or just slightly older. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is brilliant. So Mauritius mm. for me was like my awakening. Gotcha. And I just realized, oh my God, if I want to get to where young tabs thought I would be at 30, at 25, at 45, I need to wake up. And, and actually work towards it. Yeah, and where did Young Tabs see her being a 35 or 40? <laughs> a pilot, but physics whooped my ass. <laughs> whooped my ass <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so the pilot one is out of the way now. <laughs> Just being honest, I thought no. I would be a pilot at 35, flying... At that time, I was like Kenya Airways because that time Kenya Airways was like, the best airline uh-huh. in, 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 in Africa at the, at the time. Right now, it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But at that time, Young Tabs was very passionate about being a pilot. I like had a vision. Uh-huh. And then uh, medium Young Tabs met physics. And <laughs> like, nah. I was like, mm, it's not worth it. <laughs> Some of that feeling, you'll be fine. <laughs> We can survive. We can survive. No, but sh- I think even when I was young, I was still very outgoing and passionate mm-hmm. about wanting to do things. Yeah. And I didn't think I would end up here. I love that I've ended up here because I think it's been such a, a testament on how decisions that you made a few years ago can make have a ripple effect mm. into what you're doing now. Gotcha. So I'm quite glad where I am because it's basically just a result of all the decisions I've made in the last six or seven years, gotcha. which is brilliant. But, you know, Young Tabs was very, very outgoing, very mm. passionate about a lot of things. I wanted to be a football player as well at some point, you for know, and, and it, of course, of yeah. course, only the best, <laughs> only the best for Tabs, only the best. <laughs> but yeah, so it was one of those things where uh, Young Tabs was very passionate and very outgoing. And, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned Mauritius has been like a very pivotal um, point for you because yeah. you sort of like were awakened to a sense of possibility mm-hmm. um, that more impact was sort of like possible. Yeah. 
and you made this statement earlier when we started this podcast when I asked what um, if your life was a book what the title would be I said I was here yeah. and, and the reason why you said that was because of the impacts being made yeah. what does impact mean to you? Impact to me means leaving a place or living a situation better than you found it. So for me, that's impact. Mm. So when you go to a room, when you leave, there needs to be a positive change or some sort of growth within the space because you were there. So you impacted, even with having a conversation. So did I leave you happier? Mm. Did I leave you more knowledgeable? Did I leave you feeling, feeling calm mm. or like, you know, at peace? I've left you better than I found you. So for me, that's what impact is. It's a ripple effect in everything you do. It could be in your workplace. So yep. when you're working, do people actually appreciate when you're in the office? Mm. And, you know, um, and things like that. Are you actually doing things that create impact? And I know not everybody's job is like impactful in that way. But even could be you are like a tech guy and you're like fixing people's computers faster. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, tech guys, and, and, and I always say this, they're always like, have you tried turning it on and off? I'm like, of course <laughs> I have. By the time I've called you, you're not making my life easier. <laughs> of course I've turned it on and off. I'm, I'm sorry, IT people. Please don't come for me. <laughs> don't worry. I, on behalf of the IT people, say it's fine. <laughs> Your pardon. <laughs> but it's like one of those where yeah. like just creating an impact, I think for me, is just living a place better than, than you how found you found it. it that's impact for me that's that's such a, a, an interesting way to think about that because i think sometimes and it was interesting because I, a couple of months ago i there was someone that came on the show called dami and uh -huh. he was talking about this idea of impact as well mm -hmm. and intentional living i think sometimes people get trapped in the notion of they have to do something really big you know you mm -hmm. have to uh, let me think of something. I don't know. Partner with Bill Gates and feed five million people. I don't yeah. know before impact is made. But even the small things, even in the conversations, like you've said, just you know, how how are you affecting yeah. where you are? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Coast Africa and your other work before we come to Glasgow yeah. and Glasgow Cali. Yeah. What lessons have you learned from starting a charity? Oh, it's hard. Is it? It's hard. Also. Um, one, because you need to sell people why they should give you money. Mm. Because I think that's the first step. And there's already so much competition. And it's competition from the UNs, the UNICEFs, the Save a Child, the, all these organizations who have been making impact mm -hmm. in Africa. And when you come in with an idea, somebody tells you, oh, but UNICEF is already doing that. Mm. Oh, but they're already doing this. But we're we, we on the ground. We know that that's not happening, mm. you know, and things like that. So it was really hard because selling your idea to people and saying, listen, I want you to see why you giving me a hundred pounds every month of your hard earned money will be a ripple effect for you and your generation. Because gotcha. when you're giving me a hundred pounds, I'm educating a child who, if maybe we didn't give them the chance to go to school, will end up being a thief because mm. they don't have a choice not because they're the bad person mm. they don't have a choice you know <laughs> yeah. they'll end up becoming a thug going joining a gang you know going into drugs so we're already killing our generation mm. but then also the reason why it's hard is because we have a lot of bureaucracy in kenya and within the ngo space so even registering your ngo is almost like trying to you know <laughs> solve a murder that's not solvable mm. it's there's huddle everywhere you go so it was hard work and just getting people to join into the story 
actually seeing the impact that we are creating, seeing yeah. that we are credible as well, because credibility is also the hardest thing to build. Because a lot of people say, "Oh, everybody comes and preaches for us to yeah. do like CRB things," and 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 we we do one thing here, one thing there, and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. So it's also just creating that credibility. But one thing I've learned though is it's very fulfilling, because mm. when we do all these projects, we tend to speak to students one on one or get them to do videos. And uh, when you watch when we watch those videos at the end of the day or end of activity, you just see the impact you've made to a child mm. who didn't have hope or thought or after high school, I'm just gonna go and start selling stuff yeah. in the market or go be a house girl or go get married because that's the norm because they are a certain level of poverty within mm. their community. But when you see them actually encouraged to go to uni and actually talking about doing big jobs like astrophysics astrophysics or like wanting to be doctors engineers dancers you know all these things then you see the passion behind it so all that hard work of trying to convince people to be oh we are credible we are cosy we are doing this is all sort of rubbed off Mm. when you interact with these young people and they're so passionate about life once they see somebody has hope in them yeah and you can see how actively engaged they are in wanting to actually move away from what yes. society thinks they should be, which is really good because then you find them that, that really encouraged. They're like, yeah, I actually want to go to university now. I even know what university I want to go to. I'm yeah. studying harder. I'm going to prep. I'm, I'm, I'm reading. I'm, you know, I'm trying to gain more skills so I'm able to go to university. So it's, 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 it's uh, interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> and <clears throat> this podcast is going... Yeah. in a very different direction than the anticipated, which is a very good thing. Yeah. Because um, if, even now, as, as we're having this conversation, um, one of the things that came to mind is to, for folks, for, for folks listening, yeah. I said for folks, for, <laughs> for, for, for folks listening, I think something else, during the lockdown, mm-hmm. there was this concept of um, buy from local shops uh, to encourage them to keep on going. Yeah. And I also think sometimes this should be, you know, translated into the, the charity space as yeah. well. Because, like you've mentioned, there are several NGOs that are doing great things at the grassroots. Yeah. But because they're not necessarily as big as UNICEF or as big as, you know, WHO, we, yeah. we refrain from doing that. But yeah. your support could be sometimes even much more felt at local level <laughs> um, by people doing fantastic stuff like, like yeah. yourself and people like that. So there's just something that came to mind as you were talking. So, folks, if you're listening, um, please consider it. But, Tabs, you mentioned a point earlier around credibility. Yeah. What framework would you suggest people, you know, employ when trying to determine if an injury is credible? I think it's one, I think all of it just comes from the NGO itself. I think it's very hard for me to tell somebody, oh, you should believe everyone is credible. Yeah. I think from my experience, I've learned that when you're clear about your vision and you're clear about how your money is being used or mm. people's money is being used, then people see you as credible. Because I think something that a lot of people who invest in us are quite happy about it that we are very clear this is how much money we have collected this is how much we've spent this is what we're spending it on and it's 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 public if you gotcha. if you if you want to see it, you'll see it if you're one of our funders so that creates the credibility and people actually see uh, what you're doing another thing is going through that hard and annoying registration process mm. it i know it's hard and i know a lot of ngos or people saying ngos give up and then just end up running their ngos without proper registration yeah. go through it all it's hard it takes years sometimes because for us it took about two years mm. but once you get you have your documents and when you go to people 
they see you're credible. They see you went through this. You have the documents from the government saying you're credible, from the bank saying that oh, they see. audit you and things like that. So it makes it easier. Because I remember before we got registered, because we'd been working under COSI without registration because we were still waiting to be to be registered. A lot of people would be like, oh, can we see your certificate? Can we see like your bank details? Because mm. then we tend to find that they're sending money to either my bank account or Wycliffe's bank account, uh, which again is just like sketchy. Gotcha. Mm. <laughs> you know, in many ways, but we didn't have a choice because yep. you can't just go and open a bank in some random organization's yep. name without registration. Gotcha. So being okay. able to get all those, your, your ducks in a row in terms of documents from the government yep. and then just being able to be open about how you're spending money, what you're using the money for. And then when you pitch a project, don't change it when you get the money. Or if mm. you're planning to change it, tell the person who gave you the money. Because then sometimes it's like, oh, you pitch for all. I'm starting a podcast, I need mics. And then I come to your house and you bought a MacBook. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I paid for the mics, not yeah. the MacBook. Yeah, and that, that takes away the credibility. Yeah. Wow, that's all, all great tips. That's all great tips. And, and I think it's, it's the you know advice goes both ways. Yeah. Because both charities could learn from this, particularly ones that just starting yeah. to have a more efficient process instead. But people who want to give to charities also have an idea of what things to check for, yeah. to look yeah. for. So this, yeah. is, this, is, this is really great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we go to, you know, move on to the UK and... And, you know, have a conversation about your work in uh-huh. GCU and how you found settling into the UK. And is there anything else that you particularly think is noteworthy or something you'd want to add to our audience from your experience? I thought your lesson or story from your experience, you know, in being working in Africa, whether it's in Kosi or learning, that you think I've not asked a question on that you'd want to I think, talk about. I think um, probably the only thing I'd reflect before time in the UK is... Embracing your failures. <laughs> I think that's 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 one thing. Um, before coming to the UK, there was a lot of hurdles before coming to the UK. How so? Um, so I'd, 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 but I think my first hurdle, as I mentioned earlier, was the ALA, the African Leadership Academy. And I was so passionate about applying for that. And I'd applied for, for that. I'd applied for so many things. Because as I said, it going to a point where I was like, I want to just, try out everything and just see what's going to work for me as well. And I was young. I just finished. I was just about to finish high school as well. And when I got my rejection from ALA, it broke me in many ways. Like it broke my my enthusiasm to go for things in the sense that I thought, oh, my God, I meet all the criteria as well. Mm. And I picked, you know, as, and as a young person, you think about those things and you're like, why wasn't I good enough? I've done everything they've said I should have done to get in, you know. And that probably deters a lot of my vision. And that's mm. why I said probably it would be nice to meet young tabs and just see where that vision went missing. But just that, between that period, between then and when I got into AOU, um, was a period of me just being average. Mm. Like literally my life became average. I was still in high school. I just did, I did well. I didn't do exceptionally well. I didn't fail. I did well, but it was average. I could have done a lot better if, if I had that in me, if I still had that vision in me and that, oh, wake up, wake up, wake up. I could have done better. And I know for sure I could have done better in high school. Not that high school grades define your life, but it's just Mm. in hindsight, you know, 
and then obviously I went to university in Kenya and it was just, it was it was a public university and we all know if you've been to a public university in Africa it is what it is eh yeah. <laughs> it, it is what it is but it's like one of those things where it was also just like I was living a very average life I was just my classes I was just going to class I wasn't trying mm. and I think it's one of those things where when I look back I wonder for those three, four years when I wasn't trying, how much time have I lost? Mm. Because sometimes I look about uh, at some of the things I've done within three, four months that have just impacted my life for the next four, five years. Mm. How much did I lose in those four years of me losing hope because I failed once? Because wow. I just didn't get into this African Leadership Academy. And then things looked up when I applied for the African Leadership College slash university um, and got in. And then obviously met this... Uh, 19 year olds who are CEOs, <laughs> CEOs. <laughs> and it sort of woke me up mm. and reignited my passion so it's just about I think a lesson from younger tabs would be take your failures cry for a bit and cry doesn't mean tears it means embracing how you feel or you could cry as well you can do whatever you you need to do yeah. that is not harmful to you, so don't do drugs. Don't yep. don't do that, kids. <laughs> yep, nope. But like, but do something that will release how you're feeling. But then don't let that define your life. Because I was lucky that AOC happened, and wow. I got into this space that, you know, Shifts propelled away. like hit my mind. Like, oh my god, people are actually doing things with their lives. What am I doing in my life? And it woke me up. Yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine yeah. if that didn't happen. Well, would I even have been on this podcast? Would I have yeah. been in the UK? Would I have been having the job I had or would I just be another average person? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong if you want to be average as well. You know, there's no competition in this life. Yeah. However, it's just about where you see yourself going. Yeah. And I'm so glad that that sort of happened. So and I see how four years of me just, ah, I'll just live life and do blah, yeah. blah, blah. Sort of also, you know, maybe yeah, exactly. stopped my growth <clears throat> in a way. Interesting. <laughs> I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. I'll go for it. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting, the power of perspectives as well. Yeah. yeah. Because like you mentioned, you've been in this, quote unquote, like high performance, you know, place where like 19 year old CEOs and whatnot. Yeah. And what's interesting is some people might have let that be like a negative pressure to them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness, I'm done. Like, how could I ever do something <laughs> good with my life when they're 19 year olds yeah. or whatnot? How did you not let that affect you negatively? Like, how are you able to take that situation and look at that and be like, make that fuel or inspiration for you and not something that, you know, demotivates you to think, oh my goodness, what is my life? Do you get, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I get, I get what you said. That's actually very interesting. Um, I think one thing that probably made me feel like, oh, I'm motivated is if it, my nature right now is I hate being last. <laughs> I, I literally hate being like I'm very competitive <laughs> in everything I do. So I think when we went into this space where everyone was talking about how much they were doing and I felt like I was last mm-hmm. in in myself. I don't know how many people were feeling that way or weren't feeling that way in the room, but in myself I felt like, oh my God, amongst everyone who was picked out of this a hundred, I must be number ninety-nine yeah, or a hundred. Okay. You know, you feel me. And that sort of is what pushed me. I see. But it's also having friends who have a vision that really helped. Because then I got a really good, neat, neat group of friends who are also sort of feeling how I was feeling. Mm. In the sense that we were all feeling like we got picked, okay? That means we deserve to be here. Mm. But we don't feel like we're where 
exes. So how are we helping each other grow? And that's why conversations like with Wycliffe happened Mm. and other people who I'm still really close friends with to date because then you inspire each other to be like, okay, we need to work hard. We need to study harder. We need to understand this concept harder. We need to actually go to all our classes. We need to actually embrace and do extra curricular activities within the university because that's what builds you. And having friends who influence you that way, Mm. particularly very positively, also really helped because then I, I want to take a nap. I don't want to study. No, no, no. Wake up. Let's yeah. go study. Wake yeah. up. Let's go study. Yeah, 100%. Oh, no. I don't feel like going to class today. No, no, no. We're going to class. Mm. You know? And it would go both ways. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, yeah. We're all motivating each other. And I think just being in that space where also finding people who felt like me were feeling like, do we belong here? And this is competitive. And then working together to to actually get to the place where we are, of course we belong here. We were chosen. Yeah. There must be a reason why we were chosen. Yeah. So I love that perspective. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a deep lesson there about being inspired by people who have gone ahead yeah. and not just being you know jealous or envious to the point where it prevents you from yeah. even working yeah. in the first place. So that, uh, that's really. Deep. But but I think it also inspires because I like um and I I'm sure he wouldn't mind me mentioning his name on mm-hmm. here. I have a really good friend. He's called Farai. He actually mm-hmm. lives in Edinburgh at the moment, but we're in Mauritius together. Okay. Brilliant guy. He has something similar to Kosi. It's called Shasha Network, okay. which is in Zimbabwe. And they do amazing work in education. I remember the first time I met him. So he was one of the 19-year-olds who was like doing fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was one of the people who were pressuring me. We're not really good friends. So I don't yeah. feel bad saying that. <laughs> but just even speaking to him and just being able to bounce ideas, because he's already gone through the process of, doing an organization that's doing education. Mm. So even back then, when asking him, oh, so you've done Shasha, how, what was a challenge? How was funding? How was, you know, getting resources? How was you doing curriculum? It's helped. Mm. And even right now, just being able to call him and say, Farai, I'm struggling with this. Can yeah. you help me? So it's like the people who are challenging me then, now obviously he's far much ahead with Sasha than Kosi is, mm. but then I can easily go to him. Yeah. And then he helps me jump hurdles that I would have easily Amazing. been forced to jump yep. <laughs> by myself. So it's, it's, it's great. It goes both ways. So I'm yep. glad that it didn't put me down. Awesome. Yeah. And power of a, a strong network yeah. always, always yeah. pays as well. Yeah. UK. <laughs> UK. When did UK come in, into the picture tabs? Oh, UK. I always say Glasgow chose me. I didn't choose Glasgow. Ooh. That's, that's, and, and, and that's a, that's a fact. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> it's a fact. So, um, I'd never heard about Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew Scotland, but I didn't know Glasgow. So I didn't know the cities in, in Scotland. I just knew Scotland exists somewhere in the hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2016, so when I was in Mauritius, the African Leadership College had a partnership with Glasgow Caledonian University. And um, so they solve what they're accrediting partners because Mauritius has, I won't go into the details, but they have a weird thing with new colleges and mm. have to be accredited, blah, 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 semantics. Mm. <laughs> That's besides the point. So GCU um, was sort of their accrediting partner. And um, my background is in psychology. So I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. That's mm-hmm. what I studied. And that's what I went to Mauritius to study on top of doing entrepreneurship and mm. leadership, which is sort of their unique selling point as a university. So when we went there, um, I'd gone there to do a psychology degree because, as I'd mentioned earlier, I was already in university in Kenya studying psychology. So I was very intent on, I knew this is what I wanted to do. It wasn't a hobby. Psychology was the career path I wanted to go into. And uh, when we got in, the first year of, of college there is 
the inter- entrepreneurship and leadership program. So you don't really do your degree per se, but you're sort of registered under your degree, but you're doing this first before you go into your degree. So while we're finishing our first year, um, they're like, oh, so we just need to know how many people are planning to major in business management, hands up, social sciences, hands up, engineering, computer, blah, 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 psychology. There's only 12 hands that go up. Okay. So mind you, this is a university of 100 people, mm. well, 200 because we were the second cohort, so about 200, but 100 people in my cohort. So 12 people might not seem like a small number, but mm. in, in hindsight, it is a small number if you're looking uh, in terms of having a degree program. So they were like, okay, okay, can we meet you guys tomorrow just for a wee chat? <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's go see what this psychology thing is all about. So long story short, they couldn't offer it anymore because our numbers were too small for mm-hmm. them to justify having a degree and bringing in lecturers all the way from Glasgow to take some modules because of accreditation and all that. So we were given the option. We were given the option to leave, go back to our home countries, which for me wasn't an option for obvious reasons. I'd already been in uni. I'd already, mm. you know, I'd, I'd already invested in coming to yeah. this place. Um, the second option was doing another degree program, which was social sciences, business management, engineering, or computer science, because those are the other programs they offered. And none of them seemed like anything I'd wanted to do in my life. I attended a social science lecturer, lecture, and I was bored out of my <laughs> mind. Like, no shade to social scientists, but oh my God. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> the third option was come to Glasgow and finish your degree at Glasgow Caledonian University. So that was option number three, but that involved leaving Mauritius, which is a beautiful country, good weather, uh, three hours from Kenya, so I could easily fly home. (laughs) Living the life. You know, living the life. To cold, gloomy, rainy (laughs) Glasgow, (laughs) which is about 16-hour flight, depending on which airline you take to Kenya. Yes, I I, I tend to fly with Emirates, so it's like seven to Dubai, and then so it's about 16 hours, give or take, to get to Kenya. So this is a big difference, because like three hours is like, if I'm homesick, I could literally convince myself to go home. It's a three-hour flight. You you sat in traffic longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) So... Three brave people um, came to Glasgow from Mauritius. So out of the 12, only three of us came to wow. to Glasgow because we were, I'd, I'd like to say, the most passionate about actually staying in psychology because mm. the others chose to do other degree programs, which was their right to do. So came here, um, got into my degree, uh, 2017, 1st of October, 2017. I remember that date so clearly because I walked out of that plane and, oh, my God, I was ready to go back home. Oh. The cold... That like, hit me. Welcome to Glasgow. I was like, cold. and this isn't winter. <laughs> I was like, this isn't winter yet. <laughs> like, like, this makes no sense. How is this not winter yet? But yeah, so first of October, nine days be- before my birthday as well. Oh. So I was just like, oh, so I'm gonna spend my birthday in cold. This is not good. <laughs> but yeah, so I came to Glasgow, um, 2017, did my degree, graduated in 2020. Yeah, and lots happened between 2017 and 2020. I did a lot of uh, projects within the university. I worked as a student ambassador. I did the Common Good Award, which is an award that the university does. Uh, Got involved in the Magnuson Award, which later on came to um, pay. Well, they gave us the grant for the library. Mm. We rebuilt in Impreza. So got involved in a lot. 
and then in 2020 decided to go into student politics. <laughs> wow. Why? Yeah. It started as a joke. Really? And this is actually me being very serious. It started as a joke. Uh-huh. So I, as I'd mentioned, I'd been a student ambassador. And um, what my manager then, or the person I used to work closely with, was somebody called Stuart Martin. So he still works at the university. Really nice guy. And um, we used to work a lot with him. And he actually was like, oh, no, no, you should actually be, uh, you should actually run for elections. And, you know, I'm one of those people who came here with, I was focused. I was like, I'm going to do my undergraduate do my master's, do my PhD. Like I had my my life planned out. Mm-hmm. I was like, bang, bang, bang. Finish my, my undergraduate in June, September, master's, do that, November, PhD, <laughs> done. You know, it was, it was it, that was how yeah. I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But life shows you, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so he he actually was like, just, we were just having like a really friendly, I was like, oh, you should do it. I was like, absolutely not, Stuart. You're taking, you're lying, you're lying. Like, why, why would I do it? Like, I don't have... I don't have the presence or the appeal to go into politics. And he was like, oh, no, you should do it. You should do it. Because, again, when I was a student, I was working with the university to tackle racism, mm. even before I got into stu- student politics. So I was very actively working with members of staff to tackle racism on campus. From personal experience, but also just how the UK is in general. Mm. So um, I went home that Christmas because the nominations for elections are in January. So I went home. I spoke to my mom about it. I was like, and my dad as well. And I was like, what do you guys think? Like, if I do this, I'm literally taking a sabbatical from uni for a whole year. So I'm graduating, yes, from my undergraduate, but I'm not doing my master's for a year at least. And if I rerun, I'm not doing my master's for two years at least. So it was a very interesting conversation because, again, I'm thinking I'm growing old, Mm. older. No, I'm growing older. I'm trying to figure out what my career path yep. would be. Student politics is very far from what my career at the time yep. I thought would be. So a lot of soul searching, a lot of things. And then I was like, you know what? There's 15,000 students. What's the likelihood that they'll vote for me? So there's no, there's no, they, they could get in, I couldn't get in, right? And usually there's like eight or nine candidates running. So why would they vote for tabs? <laughs> it made no sense. Uh-huh. But then uh, my mom told me, just do it and do your best. You get in. You have a job for a year. You don't get in. You have the experience yep. of campaigning and selling yourself. And that's a skill you'll, you'll never get from anything mm. else. Because imagine going in front of students and actually trying to tell them to vote for you. It's an experience you'll never wow. get. Wise words. You'll never get. You'll never get. So I was like, you know what? Fine. So I put in my nomination. I think two days before the nominations closed as well. So I was very I procrastinated. Um, did that. Um, then um, at that time, a really good friend of mine was studying in Glasgow, uh, she's called Nsiki, and she was like, Tabs, I'll be your campaign manager. She's brilliant, by the way. Mm. And she's she does such amazing work in South Africa and, and all that. So she was like, I'll be your campaign manager. And I was like, awesome, my team's growing. <laughs> so I had people join my campaign team. I had a fanta- my sister as well, who lives in the UK, joined my campaign team, one of my best friends, Jess, as well. And I feel like, well, so I felt like, you know what, I've had, I have people who believe in me, mm-hmm. so I ought to put my best, yep. right? So need to at least try. There's eight other candidates. What's the likelihood I'll be, I'll be picked? <laughs> you yeah. know, there's eight other candidates. So I'll probably say it was the hardest week of my life, really, campaign week. I was averaging about 40,000 steps every day that week. I wasn't having any full meals. I was having snacks in the middle oh. of the day. I was having probably five or six hours of sleep during the week as well. 
just because of how competitive it was. So it was in person. You had to go in early, 7 a.m., set up, get your team ready, start campaigning, start talking to students, going to lectures. So Thursday comes. That's the end of campaign week. We're done. Thursday, we go in. I'm told I'm in. I'm like, oh, I don't believe it. I actually did it. Just like that? <laughs> I actually did it. Just like that. I was like, wow. I think I didn't believe it until the next day. Because it had been such an exhausting week uh-huh. as well. So I was very tired. And I think it only hit me over the weekend once I dressed it. Like, oh, my God, we've actually done it. Mm. So, yeah, um, got into student politics that way. Um, really fantastic first year of just learning so much about how student politics works, how the university works. I was also very privileged to become a student governor. So I sat on the university court, which is the highest decision-making body of the university. So I learned so much about how organizations work, particularly universities, how decisions are made, how budgeting works in like organizations that deal with, with big sums of money. Yeah. So it was it was such an amazing experience. <laughs> Finished one year. And I was like, hey, master's time. <laughs> and then I was convinced to do a second year. Um, by my colleagues and a few other people were like, oh, you can't just do one year. <laughs> just do another one. Just do another year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I ended up doing the second year. And just also just to wrap up how this led me to where I was. So both the years, my main goal was tackling racism on campus. So that was my platform to campaign. Mm. I was campaigning on tackling, amongst other things. I had other points, but tackling racism was my was my bread and butter basically because one of my experience uh in class and um my experience on campus and just also experiences of my colleagues Mm. friends and just even in terms of the data so in 2019 yes it should be 2019 in 2019 um there was a report that came out about higher education and how racist higher education is and attainment gap and how if you came in with an A from your high school, right, and a white student came with an A from their high school and you both came in and you're doing computer science, for example, he's probably going to graduate with a first class, but you're probably going to graduate with a 2-2, which makes no sense because you came in at the same level. Mm. And that's because there's an awarding gap when they're marking exams, when they're marking papers, your choice of research as well. So if you because for example, I chose to write my dissertation on an African country. And, you know, because maybe lecturers don't have expertise on African countries, then you probably get marked down for that and things like that. Or maybe you understand things differently. And um, I remember actually, and this is very much digressing, but it's fine. I was I, I was in an o- occupational therapy. Sorry, I'm so used to acronyms. Oh, I was in an occupational therapy um, workshop recently because they were trying to see how to decolonize occupational therapy as a profession, and they were talking about how they have this like um, psychometric tests that they give like o- OTs who are starting up, but they use very Western images to try and mm. test intelligence. And somebody was flipping it over and actually like, and it was actually really funny because it was somebody from West Africa. So they they, they copy pasted the metrics test, but changed the pictures to things that are very Western African. So like they put plantain, yam, and uh, all these like unique things you'd find in West Africa. And it was like, oh, who knows what this is? People with PhDs couldn't say what mm. this is. It's not that they are not smart. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. see things like that. And just what impacting how education was. So that sort of is why I was gotcha. like, this okay. needs to change. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of my platform for this. So 
Then when I finished uh, my tenure as full-time officer, because you can only do it for two years, uh, it's not it's not like African countries where you can <laughs> stay there until you die. Only two years maximum. <laughs> you can't change the constitution either. But um, after the after <laughs> just leave that in there. <laughs> just listen, in case somebody's listening, eh? <laughs> um, so after that, uh, GCU had just decided to do the race equality charter, and they just signed it off just before I'd finished. So I was actually jobless for a few months. Hey, hey. So you can actually be jobless even <laughs> after working very hard. <laughs> but the, so they advertised this job mm. um, in June of last year. Okay. And I applied and I was fortunate enough to get it. And it's been it's been my bread and butter ever since. And really, really nice job. I enjoy it so far. Wow. Yeah. And the story is still being told. And the story is like, still being told. <laughs> you're still, you're still in, I'm still in the job. You're still in the job. I'm, not, I'm not quit yet. Yeah. Okay. So as, as we start to like get towards the you know final parts of this podcast, which is the more reflective yeah. stages, I wanted to still maybe hash out a few questions mm-hmm. around you know, racism and, and whatnot. Um, what's, what question do, do, do I have? So it's Black History Month in October, which is when this podcast will be scheduled to, uh-huh. to come out. Uh-huh. What message do you have to our listeners? Black History Month for me is, is and I'll say, is a beautiful month. I don't think a month is enough to celebrate black excellence, mm. but we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. And use it as a month to reflect on how far we've come <laughs> as a people, as an, as as a race, and as also human beings, because there's been a lot of growth in terms of equality, we can't take that away. Mm. Also a good time to celebrate all the good things, all the black excellence, and whatever, big or small it is, celebrate because it is excellence. Mm. <laughs> but also reflect on how much work is still left to be done, mm. because we are still fighting racism on a day-to-day basis, we are still fighting for equality, and we are still fighting for our humanity to be appreciated. Mm. So this Black History Month, use it to do all those, or one or two, or none, depending on how you want to celebrate Mm. your Black History Month, but just celebrate the fact that, you know, we've come so far, but we still have so far to go, Mm. but we are working together and we need to work together to get to where we need to go. A hundred percent. We need to work together. And I think that is... One one big emphasis as well because yeah. I think sometimes um, people that are you know white or black think it's a camp thing like yeah. you know we are here yeah. the other side is there and then we are trying to you know fight each other or whatnot but at the end of the day we are really just one humanity yeah all right we like, really like, are like, we are the human race <laughs> <laughs> you know it's 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 so funny because um, we we run surveys. Um, for some of the work we do, and I hope I'm not breaking any GDPR here. No, I'm not, because I'm not mentioning who put this. But somebody was asked what their ethnicity was, yep. and they're not human being. I actually, oh. quite like it's, it's, not, it's not very helpful for yeah. data collection. It's not helpful. However, I was like, I like that. I like it. I like that. I, actually, I, I do hey, like it. You're a human being. I like that. I, I do like it. So yeah, reflecting on the fact that we're human first before all the yeah. you know, ethnicities the that we and, yeah. the, and the form fields we, we put. I think just that. 
the appreciating that I think really helps. Yeah. Because the white person doesn't think every black person is, is against me. Because, yeah. uh, and the black person doesn't think everything has to be a race card. Everything yeah. has to be, oh, you're from it. Some yeah. people, like we said earlier, this commercial, some people actually don't know and they just want to be educated. So creating these um, platforms for healthy, safe yeah. conversations yeah. Yeah. that foster growth yeah, and not animosity, uh-huh. I think is, like like, like Tabitha said, is at the heart of Black History Month yeah. as well. And yeah. not just... Wow, yeah. this has been a great conversation. <laughs> Reflection time. Yeah, <laughs> this is giving me PTSD of like, you know, when you're doing coursework and they're like, oh, you need to reflect. You know, like psychology is such a reflecting profession. You and need you to reflect on everything. So I'm just like, oh, it, reflection. It, you, have, you have no excuses about this one. Then. So reflection time. What are you most grateful for as you look back on your life? Opportunity. I'm grateful for opportunities that have been handed to me. Mm. and opportunities that I've taken and opportunities that I've lost because mm. they've shaped who I am. Opportunities. Yeah. If 16-year-old Tabs came to you for mentoring and advice, what, what, what would you tell her? Suck it up. Uh, life will look a lot different than what you thought it would, but it would be a good different. Mm. Yeah. That would be my advice to 16-year-old. Why? Suck it up. I'm keen to understand your thinking behind that. Walk me through it. I think at 16, I was very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like my high school. Uh, probably will never go back there. So if anyone from <laughs> high school is listening, eh. <laughs> and it was just one of those where I was very unhappy. I was very unhappy in high school uh, for many, many reasons. And I think at that point, I failed to see how Life would be good. And that happiness was just caused by internal reasons and just the environment I was in. Um, it was nothing to do with like my parents or anything. It was just the environment I was in and just how I felt as a person in that environment. So it was very hard for me to see how I'm, I'm going to progress and actually make it or like be where I am now. Mm. So at, at, 16, at 16, if I was sat on this seat, I probably wouldn't have been as optimistic. I probably wouldn't have been... Um, as as eager to even do this podcast, for mm. example. So it's just one of those things where I'll be like, suck it up. You know, it's 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 a sad time. We'll teach you a lot of things. It'll teach you how to deal with your emotions when you're older. <laughs> mm. It'll teach you how to navigate situations that are not very comfortable for you as well. So, yeah. Okay. Suck it up and there's a lot of good things coming in the future would be my advice. <laughs> and to... I don't know, 35, 40 year old tabs. This is the first time I'm actually asking this question. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if it's a good one, but I'm going to go for it. Yeah. What would you say to her? Oh, I hope you didn't screw it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are doing so good right now. I hope you didn't screw, I hope you didn't screw it up. Well, but honestly, I think I'll just be um, to, to 45 year old, I'll be like, I hope you've had time to sit down and reflect. So I think it's something I don't do much because right now my life is very much on the go mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to move from one step to another, progress, progress, progress. Mm-hmm. That sometimes I fail to sit down and be like, oh my God, what I was praying for yep. today, uh, what, what is happening to me today, I was praying for yesterday, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just more of like, um, I hope you're reflecting. I hope you're enjoying life. I hope you're breathing more easy. I hope you're sleeping better. <laughs> I hope you're working less, but creating a you know a better impact in life as always. Yeah, 
but a bigger mm-hmm. impact as always. Creating <laughs> a bigger impact in life as yeah. always. And finally, this yeah. is the more open-ended one. Yeah. Um, I've asked a number of questions, tried to like probe and you know like find out more about you about your journey. Yeah. But is there something, a story, a lesson, a word of advice or tip that you'd want to leave our audience with that I've not had the time or thoughts to even ask you about? A lesson. Hmm. And it could be an absolutely anything. So this is your chance to go completely entrepreneurial and just you know. I know there's there's so many lessons I could think of that I've learned um, through 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 <laughs> through my life and through my journey. I'm just trying to think which one is. Take your time. Take your time. It's like appropriate and like. One comes to mind. Tell me. And I think the lesson that I learned, and I and I learned this in a in a in a very interesting way. So I'm trying to see because somebody's story as well. So I learned it through somebody's story. I'm trying to see if they'll be okay with me sharing it as well. Gotcha. <laughs> Take a time. I'm, I'm doing a mental check yeah. in my head, like, ooh, if they if they listen to this, are we gonna stop being? I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know what? I'll I'll change I'll change my 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 answer just because I've not asked them if I could share this story. Okay. But I think a lesson that I learned, and I learned this actually when I was working in, in student politics. And um, it's one of those things where I'm a very big picture person mm-hmm. and I think there's a solution to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. There's, it can't be solved. And I remember one time I was speaking to a colleague of mine and um, they were telling me, actually, I was telling them that, oh, I've figured out there's this problem and I have a solution for it. And I was like, okay. He was like, okay, okay, let me let me hear the problem, the solution. I gave him the problem and I was like, this is the solution and I think I found it. And then he was like, oh, okay, interesting, but have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. And completely switched my, my, my question and I was like, you're only looking at it from one view. You're not looking at it all around. You're just thinking about how it will benefit one part, mm-hmm. not how the other part will be affected with this decision. So I think the lesson that taught me or that conversation taught me is whenever you're looking for solutions to problems, don't only look at it one way. Mm. It might look easy to solve it one way, but flip it around, change it and see, okay, have I actually solving the problem or am I making it easier for me and mm. then somebody else's problem in the future? <laughs> wow. That's deep, actually. I get so you. it was one of those where I was like, okay, I would have solved it, but in like two years, it would have been somebody else's problem. So mm. I would have been happy now, but then wouldn't have solved the problem. So yeah, I'll go with that one. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. And that is actually a perfect way to like end, end this podcast. So folks, tabs. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, pleasure. It's, been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, once again, happy Black History Month. Um, hope you like have fun, celebrate Black Amazing Point in your life. Um, a big shout out to all the 
people, you know, doing things of impact in their communities. And like Tab said, um, impact is really just living um, a place, a community, or a person better than you met them. Yeah. So shout out to our everyday heroes, the unsung heroes that, that might never make it to, you know, CNN or any of this. Like, we see you. Yeah. Um, we appreciate you. And if you haven't liked our podcast yet, or if you haven't like commented or subscribed, feel free to give us some feedback and to subscribe. But until next time, I'm your podcast host, I'm Samuel Gude. Thank you very much for joining everyone. And thanks, Tabs, once again. How did you find this, by the way? Oh, it was good. It was good. Top, top uh, quality, top everything. Thank <laughs> it was you. Good conversation. I had a really good time. Same here. Yeah. Take your Tabs and have a good evening. Bye.